0: Hi Jasmine, thanks for joining Shit You Don't Want to Talk About. Please introduce yourself and what shit do you want to talk about?
1: Thank you so much for having me here today. And I think the shit that I want to talk about is divorce, and I think it's something that a lot of people don't really talk about.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, my eyes are darting. Yeah, I don't want to talk about it. I don't like talking <laughs> about I don't like admitting that I'm divorced, which is kind of crazy cuz I am 33 now and I was married at the age of 20, divorced at 22. So it was definitely, uh, oh goodness, how many years ago, 11 years ago? I can count now. So most people in my life, other than like my closest friends and family, don't even realize it. And it's crazy to me that people question, well, do I even care about marriage and those type of things. And I'm so I'm stoked to like deep dive into that. And I know that you deal a lot with the shame behind it. Absolutely. Before we dive in on the divorce part, because that is going to be a big chunk of it. I am curious, did you like come from a background that you felt shame for anything or like you were shamed for a lot of stuff?
1: I, I, was uh, raised by my primarily my dad. My parents were divorced when I was really young. And so there was a lot of instability growing up for me. And I had a lot of shame around, um, honestly, my mom. My mom left when I was little and I didn't have a mom around. So growing up without that, I was kind of embarrassed when my friends would talk about doing things with their mom and I didn't have Mm -hmm. a mom around for that. So that led to a lot of things early on in my childhood with abandonment issues. And um, I was bullied when I was young. So a lot of things happened when I was little, but I think it led me to where I am ultimately today.
0: Yeah. And that's definitely relatable. I would, I also, this, uh, this might sound weird. My mom was never into makeup and I was kind of mad about that because I was like, I never got to learn how to do it. Luckily we have YouTube now and... (sighs) Uh, And your makeup looks wonderful. And I've heard that from other people where their moms aren't around or they don't have siblings or somebody that helps teach them that. So I just wanted to call out your makeup looks great. Thank you so (laughs) much. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I
1: have an older sister who she honestly didn't help me with the makeup. So it took me a long time. I definitely went to wearing a little too much makeup when I was around 13 and balanced it out. So I think I have a good balance now. But thank you.
0: Nice. Nice. So. Before we get into like the whole divorce, I do, at least in my personal opinion, there were a lot of red flags for myself beforehand and a lot that really led into why I got married when I was 20. That, you know, hindsight 2020, and I was 20, that was fun, um, was, you know, I wish I listened to myself and trusted myself enough to get myself out of there. What was it like before you got married?
1: Well, he was my high school sweetheart. And so it was really all I knew. I grew up with him. And when I look back now, obviously I see things that I don't want to necessarily say were red flags, but for myself uh, coming from a broken home, there was stability with him and he was really all I knew. And we didn't get married until I was 25, but Uh, And so we were together for quite a while before we got married. But again, he was my high school sweetheart. He was just everything that I knew. I grew up with this person from the time that I was 15. And then it just seemed like that was the next thing that you did. You got married. So I came from a very small town in Kansas. And many of my friends married their high school sweethearts. And many of them are divorced as well.
0: (laughs) All right. And I'm curious about that. I heard this a lot getting married at 20, that you always at least want to wait till the age of 25 when your brain is more fully developed and a lot of like the personality traits are a bit more finalized. Was that something that you guys considered?
1: No, I actually wanted to get married a lot younger. I was ready to get married pretty much when I graduated. It was just in my mind, that's what we were going to do. So why wait? Why not get married? And he did want to wait until we graduated college and had some stability with our careers at that time. But um, yeah, you're absolutely correct. Our brains aren't fully developed until we're 24. But I think because I was with him from the time I was so young, I really never even knew who I was. was. He was always a part of me. And so it just... Uh, it just happened. You know, we just kind of uh, got married and I never had that time by myself, time alone to figure out who I was. So he was always a part of me. We were like basically
0: connected at the hip. Oh, damn. All right. Yeah. And I guess I'm, I'm asking all of these because I know for myself, it was a completely different situation, which I'll get into later. But I think that so many people are like, well, it's just because he was a bad guy. And I know for at least with my marriage, the dude wasn't a bad guy. We were just a horrible fit. And the reasons I got married were very, very wrong. So in the wedding aspect, and I have have heard this before, and I don't know if it has any you know, uh, validity to it, but do you... Have you seen in your coaching or have you had this experience where people care so much about the wedding that they lose sight of why they're getting married and just to kind of put on a show?
1: I would definitely say that's true when you're getting married younger. The older you get, I think you view it a little bit differently. And it also does depend on your your background and how you were raised and uh, whether marriage is important in just your culture or again, just growing up, is that what you have always aspired to be married? And I think it does depend on the age though. The older you are when you get married, I think you're viewing it a little bit more from, um, from your heart rather than just what everybody else is expecting the, the big wedding. And you're forgetting all of those reasons why you're wanting to commit yourself to that person
0: yeah i could I could definitely see that uh in the fact of i got when I was married i we borrowed a lot of money to be able to figure out how to put the best wedding we could because of all for show and then now uh the partner I'm with now he is the most amazing man that i have ever the best relationship I've ever been in and i'm I'm so grateful for that and We've been together for four years now, which is all together longer than my marriage lasted. Like, you know, pre input, like all of it together, the entire relationship. And with him, I'm just like, yeah, we can go to the courthouse. Like, I'm down. I don't care. I was like, one day I'm getting the dress I want and we're getting a photographer and we're going to go take photos. But, you know, I'm not, I don't care. And that's, I could see that because, you know, 20 to 33, that is quite a bit. Of an age difference. What kind of wedding did you have?
1: We actually had a beautiful wedding. My wedding day, still to this day, was one of my happiest days. And I still, even though I'm divorced, I can still look at that and, and, see that. It was what we wanted. We got married outside in Colorado in the mountains overlooking this beautiful lake. Um, It was small. It was a small, intimate wedding. Uh, But again, I did want to make sure that I had the dress. And I do notice when I look back that I started focusing a lot on making sure that other people were enjoying the day forgetting that Mm. it was my day. And I think now I'm kind of along the same lines of you. If I get married again and it's at the courthouse, then you know I'm okay with that. I think that happens a lot with second marriages. It's that Mm. you've already gone through that once. And I've seen other second marriages that are big and they're beautiful as well. But I think something can shift for people that it's just more about the two of you versus having to put on a big party and a big show for other people. But yeah, I I loved my wedding day. It was a very beautiful day and a Day
0: that I'll always be glad that I had. Awesome, and I, I think that um, I I want to wrap uh, like return to that later on because learning about your experience and you know going forward and then to your wedding and where you are now, I know that I've personally been through a lot of shit where there's a good memory based in it. Yet I'm so I've been so angry about it that that good memory is spoiled. And yes, now I'm, you know, perspective is everything and, uh, you know, time away from it. I'm like, oh, yeah, that experience was actually pretty legit, even though it had a lot of bad memories around it. Uh, I would really like to tie back into that. But I'm curious after you tell us next steps. So you're married now. How long were you married?
1: Um, I, well, I'm not married now currently. Um, Yeah. You got married. I'm saying like you got married at that
0: point. We had the wedding. We got the wedding. Now we're married.
1: (laughs) So we were married for 14 years. So we were together a total of 23 years and we were married for 14 years. And did you have kids? We didn't. And that's um, it's something that I always thought we would do. I think he did as well. It was, I think, waiting for when the time was going to be right. I wanted them immediately, like right away. As soon as we got married, I had it all planned out. I was going to have my first kid by the time I was 27, my second kid by the time I was 29. And um, it it didn't happen. Uh, We we worked a lot. He worked a lot. And I got to Mm -hmm. a point where I wanted to make sure he was going to be around to you know, help give the babies a bath or have dinner. And it just never happened. His work uh, became his life and I didn't Mm -hmm. want to be a single parent. And Mm -hmm. so that was an argument actually we had quite often was he was ready to have kids and I wanted him to be able to have more of a work-life balance before we brought kids into the situation. And so it never happened for us.
0: Oh, yeah. I I think that's always hard when we have those dreams and journeys that we see for ourselves and we don't, it doesn't always happen as planned. Yet, I know, at least in my experience, like it doesn't always happen as planned, but it a lot of times will happen better than expected. (laughs) Yes. But what, so... 14 years together, that's a lot. 23 in total. Like, where I don't I don't necessarily want to say what went wrong, because it's not always, at least from what I've seen, it's not always a what went wrong. It, it can be you grew apart, or it could be, you know, so many different factors. And so where did we go from 25 to 14 years later? That took me
1: a while to really figure that out because there were certain things that definitely led to the divorce in the end, um, specific things. However, when I was able to start healing and looking back, the the separation really started happening about five or six years prior to the divorce. We were we really were growing apart. It was we created these separate lives for ourselves. So he was working all of the time, and then I was. Um, Doing my own thing, and we stopped sleeping in the same bed together. And I would do things with my friends. We wouldn't even just go shopping to the grocery store together. We just had, we were almost like roommates at one point. Um, But again, it was, I didn't see that at the time when I was in it. I thought, you know, this is my person, and this is just what happens with marriage you know, you ebb and flow, and we were best friends but we were arguing, arguing more. And there were things that I didn't see because I was in it. And after the divorce happened, when I started looking back, I realized it really began years before we signed those divorce papers.
0: Got it. And now, you know, you go through the divorce and this is, I know I'm putting a very simplified version of everything that's going on. So, uh, you know, Quick life recap, because an hour to hour and a half isn't a long time for a lifetime of memories. How, what happened when you got divorced? Who filed? Like, what, what was that experience?
1: Well, this is the the first podcast I'm going to come out and say all of this, but um, there was infidelity um, on both sides. Mm-hmm. And um I uh, had mentioned that, you know, he worked a lot. We were having very, very separate lives. I was very, very lonely and um, something I never, ever, ever thought I would do. I was very disappointed in myself. I came clean and I told him um, that I had an affair and I didn't know at the time that the same thing was happening on his end. And when i found out about it that was really when everything exploded we didn't call it quits though we went to an infidelity conference we were trying to work on things together to see if we were going to be able to make it work and in the end i filed but i changed my mind and he decided that he wanted to move forward with the divorce
0: oh damn and thank you for sharing that is definitely scary to admit Especially with the stigma behind it. I, I do want to ask, though, because it is something that a lot of relationships are looking more into is like having more open relationships or something like that. Is that something you guys talked about or was even on the, the table? We,
1: we did, yes. Uh, okay. We did talk about that. And um, we discussed that even with uh, the, the counselor that we went to after we um, were both made aware of, of what happened in our marriage and ultimately decided that it was just not something that was going to work for us because uh, the what was the point really? Was there love there anymore? Was there going to be trust? Was there going to be jealousy issues? And so, uh, we decided that was not something for us.
0: Yeah. And it's definitely not everybody's cup of tea. I don't, Mm -hmm. I definitely don't want to shame anybody, uh, in either direction because some people that's like the best thing ever. Other people, like I couldn't imagine it for my relationship, but you know, I know a couple people in my world that it's, the best thing that ever happened to them as, uh, singles or to them as relationships. And it's, it's all different cups of tea.
1: Yeah, I agree. I have friends that have open relationships and polyamorous and it it works in their lives. And, um, when we had discussed it, it was just, I think there was just too much hurt. There was too much damage already done at that point. And, um, even though it was very, very hard and very challenging that divorce was going to be the best route for us.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned it. So let me know if I'm digging too deep on this one. Uh, what caused you to unfile? If unfile is a word. <laughs>
1: um, and I, I just told him that I thought we should go ahead and stay separated because we were living separate at that time. But take a break, basically, to see if we could both work on ourselves and then come back together. I... I don't think I knew how to live without him. He had been in my life since I was, again, 15 years old for so long. The thought of him not being there, I started having anxiety attacks and panic attacks. And it was like, I just Mm. didn't know how to live without him. So I thought if there was this glimmer of hope that we could go work on ourselves, we would be able to reconcile at some point. And he told me that it was time we just both go work on ourselves, but not
0: be married. Damn, that's, that's rough. And how how long did from the point of opening up to each other and letting each other know what happened to counseling to him filing? How how long were you guys in that like in between?
1: It happened pretty quickly. So we filed in um, May, and the divorce was final by September. So and it all happened very fast.
0: That part happened fast. What about before that when you guys were working on stuff? How long did you guys work on stuff?
1: So everything came to fruition really um in February. So okay. from February until May. And um yeah, it was all you know, very again, it was yeah. very, very quick.
0: Definitely sounds like a whirlwind. And I I really appreciate you going through all of this because I know like the the stigma behind it and the shame so many of us have felt through it and i'm i really appreciate you digging deep on that because i mean that's a why we're talking about that on the i have this podcast you know when we have guests like that but it's also it's terrifying digging that deep sometimes and the vulnerability hangover i do definitely think that a lot of our listeners are going to relate and also being able to hear the steps you took to rebuild? Because I am curious what, how was your dad or the rest of your family or your friends reacting? What were their feelings during your marriage? Because I know that my family was like, don't get married, divorce him. From the beginning, they were like against him. Um, And I'm curious how your friends and family felt about it. Uh,
1: everyone loved him when we got married. I mean, it was, he just fits so perfectly into our family and his, I loved his family. I still love his family. And uh, when it was a very shocking for everyone to find out um, that we were going to be getting divorced and what had happened um, there, there was a lot that, that um, people were not processing. Um, no one really could believe that it was coming to an end. I felt very alone, honestly. I felt like I did not have support from friends or family. Um, I had friends saying, well, he's a piece of shit, get divorced. And then I had, you know, family saying, no, you should work on it. And I don't think people really knew how to respond. You know, when when there's a death, uh, people usually come out of the woodworks and they want to be there and support you. And divorce is just so messy. People really aren't sure... Mm -hmm. What to do? So a lot of the time, they just kind of stay clear. And I was experiencing that from my friends, my family, and not really. I felt very alone. I wasn't getting a lot of support that I needed, really, from anybody.
0: Yeah, that is into your uh, analogy to death. I've I've heard of it being where everybody comes out of the woodworks to support you, maybe in the first like three months, mm-hmm. and then everyone disappears when you really need them the most through all the, the first without your human or without that human. Yes. Um, how, first off, like, how would you have wanted someone to support you through that?
1: Honestly, to listen, that's really, I think what I needed was not someone giving me their advice on what I should be doing Because even if they had gone through a divorce, their situation was very, very different than mine. And I didn't want to have someone just giving me their opinion of what I needed. I wanted someone just to listen, really is what I needed, or just to sit there while I cried and let me just cry. And some people couldn't handle that part of it too. Seeing me cry was just too hard. My, my dad, I love him, but he just, he didn't like seeing me cry. He would say, stop crying. It's, you know, it's going to be for the best and um, keep your chin up, you know? And I just wanted sometimes people just to, you know, listen to me, maybe vent and also just to be there when I cry and not say anything.
0: I think uh, as being the other person on that, uh, that is really hard to just not, give feedback. Like, well, hey, let me help solve the problem because this is why I'm your friend is to be there for you and help you fix this and to just listen and to just hear you. Yeah. People that are close to
1: you want to support you.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then I know I I went through a self-development retreat and, uh, a few years ago and, and the Matthew Hussey retreat, I'm not sure if you've ever heard of Matthew Hussey, um, really good online dating coach that does like, a a bunch of YouTube videos, but it's good for like social skills in general. Mm-hmm. But I went to his like five day retreat. And one of the first things, it was like 200 women. And one of the first things that, um, during the course that we had to learn is, Don't comfort someone next to you if they're crying. If whatever they're processing, do not comfort them. And it's like, that's our instinct is to go, hey, please, please. We just want to cheer you up. We just want to be there for you. We just want to make you happy. And that's like, I don't know if that's like society has taught us that or just human instinct, But to let someone just to cry and be there and be in the same room. Is, is such a powerful way to support other people, no matter what they're going through. Okay. I know one of my best friends has called me because they all live in different states. It doesn't help I've moved so much. So they'll call me and they'll just be like, yo, I need you to listen. And I can't make out any words on what they're saying, but it's being there for them. And yes. that's really powerful that you can acknowledge that that's what you needed how did you oh go ahead
1: i was gonna say it took me a little bit of time to realize what that was but um i i knew after a couple of months of people giving me their opinions that that's really what would have been supportive and at that point they just really started to pull back
0: there's a doggo what's your doggo's name bailey bailey for everybody like that's listening on the podcast instead of on the youtube she has a doggo. And if you want to see what everybody looks like, you can check out the YouTube as well. Thank you for the Bailey interruption. I love the doggos. <laughs> um, how? So you're getting opinions from everyone else and you're all alone. Like, not gonna, like, I don't even know. How the fuck do you get out of that? Like, that, that is easily a downward spiral.
1: It was dark. I had a really, really dark time. The first three months of my divorce were bad. I was drinking way too much because I wanted to numb the pain. And I don't even know how I had tears left to cry. There was um, just a dark hole that I didn't know how to get out of. I, um, I had my aha moment really one night when I went to take a bath wine, passed out in the bathtub, woke up choking on water, pulled myself out and passed out again on the floor naked and wet and woke up and realized that something had to change. You know, I was still sad and, but I didn't want that to be my life anymore. I needed to do something. I didn't know what in that moment, but it was just this aha moment for me that, um, I, if, if other people weren't going to pick up the phone or text me back because they were pulling back, then I needed to figure out how to do this myself. It was up to me.
0: And at that point, I definitely believe in when you set an intention, things just kind of happen. Not that you mean to, but like when, because our energies, at least to me, this may sound like a little too frou-frou or woo-woo or anything like that, but when we set a goal or an intention, the world kind of like helps us do that. So what, how did that show up for you? You made that intention and what happened? Like what's next?
1: Well, I was expecting immediately that I was going to be able to have everything (laughs) figured out, which did not happen. So that's when I started just to immerse myself in everything. I'm like, well, I'm going to try a ton of different shit and let's see what sticks. So it was, you know, reading self-help books and listening to blogs and podcasts and trying new things. And um, I definitely had, you know, I would take a couple steps forward and a couple steps back and I would have another bad day and I would cry because I was still going through the grieving process but I was determined to not give up. I had been down that road before. I had attempted suicide when I was 13 after being bullied and uh, those thoughts were coming back. And I I just kept pushing them away. I, um, I didn't want that to be my life. I wanted to keep moving forward. So I just, I was trying so many different things and that's actually... Um, that my book that I just wrote um, is creating your own life recipe. <laughs> Thank you. It's creating your own life recipe. Getting trying different mm-hmm. things, trying different ingredients that you know you want to work with, and that's what I started doing. I just was trying a lot of different things to see what was going to work. I'm I'm a very um, determined person, and so I didn't want to just sit there and expect that my life was going to change. I wanted to try all of these different things to see what was going to work for me.
0: That's awesome. And I I want to add this in because i my experience at that point was a little different, but something that I'd always have done until my current relationship is I became a chameleon in everything. So I ended up dating a lot of different people because I didn't want to be alone. And I became a chameleon in the fact of, They liked off roading. I liked off roading. They liked anime. I liked anime. They liked partying. I suddenly liked partying. Not my forte whatsoever. And there's a lot of them. I ended up going skydiving. That's pretty cool. It's a cool (laughs) life experience, but not something that's my jam. And I bring that up in the fact of how and and you might have already known this beforehand. I know it took me quite a while, but how do you know? what your interest was, not what your husband's interest was, and learning to find yourself in your just yourself.
1: It's a process. Um, I I do want to mention you said that you were a chameleon. It reminds me of actually one of the chapters in the book I write about. um, this. There's a movie, Runaway Bride, with Julia Roberts in it. And she is talking about how she doesn't know the kind of eggs she liked because she always liked them the way that her boyfriend liked them. And it was, she needed to figure out how to like her own eggs. And that's, that made me think about that. But um, it was a process for me because I did like the things that he liked. I thought that we had the exact same taste when decorating a house. And then when I got to decorate my first apartment by myself, I was like, Wow, I actually don't have the same taste as him. I like I got a white couch, like, and I spill things, but I did it because I really <laughs> liked it. But I I thought that we were um, I think more similar than we really were, you know. And it was um, just trying some different things. I I remember um, uh, watching the show that I thought that I liked because it was a show we watched together, and I'm like, mm, no, this really isn't. A show I like. And so getting to do different things and trying different things to see what you like, I really, I got to know myself. I fell in love with myself and I don't know if I ever was before. And it was, it was sad and lonely at times. Absolutely. I'm not trying to like think that this was a great experience for me to discover myself. I would never wish someone having to go through divorce, but if I wouldn't have gone through that, I wouldn't have found who I really am.
0: That that is powerful. And I love the fact that you call it out that it's difficult and it's lonely. And I know for myself, I didn't start learning how to be by myself. And I got divorced in 2010. In 2017, I traveled internationally by myself because I really wanted this job internationally that my mentor was like, Bruh, you want to go international. You've never traveled internationally. Why would they hire you? I was like, oh, touche. So I went to Peru for two weeks by myself, and one of the loneliest experiences, yet incredible in the fact that I had to learn to trust my instincts and figure out what I liked and go off of, you know if this was something that sat well with me. And it sounds like you went through something similar with going through all your uh, different activities.
1: Yes. And traveling was something as well. I I love to travel and my ex-husband and I traveled quite frequently. And I remember the the very first trip that I took was um, not international. That was my second trip. And that was scary to do alone. Um, but bravo to you for doing that. But my <laughs> first trip, I decided I was just going to go to Vermont to see the leaves changing. I've always wanted to see that. And I went alone. And yes, it was, it was very lonely. There were a lot of tears. But this moment, I remember I was on my way to my next destination and there was a waterfall. And I was like, shit i want to get a picture of that waterfall and so i there was nowhere to pull over i had to go probably 10 minutes out of my way to turn around to go back something my ex-husband never would have done but it was so important to me to go get a picture of that waterfall and see the waterfall so little things like that like i i can stop now i can you know i can stop and go to the bathroom if i'm on a road trip because i don't have to get there at the, this exact time you know little, little yeah. things that I I realized during that trip that oh this is this is not you know a, I don't want to say it, it was a, a good thing but this is this is something for me I can do this for myself mm-hmm. right now and um, traveling though was something that I always depended on him to you know make sure that he knew where the directions to the hotel were and having to figure mm-hmm. all of that stuff out myself very empowering scary but empowering
0: yeah uh, I. So I was living in Arizona at the time. I can totally relate on the scary part in the fact that I had to fly to L.A. and then L.A. to Peru. And then I went from Lima to Cusco, which is where Machu Picchu is, is in Cusco. It's not near the capital. And then I had to um, the same day. I thought this was going to be so cool in the time zones. I did not put them all together. I had to fly from Cusco to Lima. Lima to Miami, Miami to L.A., and then L.A. to Phoenix, which L.A. to Phoenix was a different ticket. I booked it for the same day. So when I landed in Miami, my flight in L.A. was taking off. And luckily, I got an email saying that or it would have taken off. I got an email saying that they were super, super delayed and um like four hours delayed so don't even show up at the airport so I called them and I'm like hey so since you guys are so delayed can you just move me to tomorrow so that way I can just spend another day here and they were like yeah sure no problem and they did it for free and I was like
1: how great that was my
0: first international traveling experience (laughs) with flights I can tell you I definitely double check a lot more (laughs) but you navigated you
1: figured it out
0: yeah yeah terrifying, but I figured it out. (laughs) I will admit, um, I know that you uh, grew up with your dad and I'm not sure if it's similar for you. Um, I'm, I'm not very close with my father at all, but I'm very close with my mom. So I definitely still call her when there's a crisis. She doesn't always know how to help me solve it, but I normally (laughs) will talk out loud to her and I'm like, Oh, okay. That's how I do it." So. That is a a line of support, but how, so it sounds like you're definitely starting to find yourself at that point. How long ago was your divorce to when you started your uh, coaching business?
1: So my coaching business started um, about two years ago. And I honestly, when I started my coaching business, Um, only having been divorced a year is not a long time. And that is why I actually wanted to start it because I wanted to be real. I wanted to be real and raw and I want to be able to be able to relate to me and connect with me. And I work with clients who I feel like they can be vulnerable with me because I've been there and I, um, I wanted to be able to help them from someone who still could feel it, who could still relate to the hurt and the pain and the shit that you're going through with a divorce. So that's why I started it so soon. Whereas I think, you know, if I would have waited to start it five years after the divorce, you've healed so much, which is great, but really being able to tie into and connect to some of that pain that would still kind of bubble up with me. That's why I started it so soon after the divorce.
0: And, and that's, that's definitely something that, I don't know, just thinking about it and going through that, I'm like, that's terrifying. Like it's like reopening the wound every single time, yet so incredible to be able to help yourself because it sounds like you helped yourself heal helping others heal.
1: Absolutely. That's, the truth, the, the blogs, I started blogging prior to coaching and my blogs were just kind of me getting my feelings out there, my thoughts out there, my journey, and um, the responses I was getting from people um, and how they could connect and relate really was what drove me to get the coaching certification and the NLP certification because I um, I loved that feeling that I could help somebody through having gone through such a challenging time in my life, if that could help somebody else, I wanted to do it.
0: That's amazing. And where does uh, somebody start? Like, what, where do people show up when they come to you? How do they show up? So people
1: right now primarily find me, um, my, my website, the organic searching for like life coaches with divorce, recovery, yeah. or uh, social media. And um, when I talk to somebody, I want to make sure they're in a place to work with a coach though, because you can still be raw and have emotions and be in the grieving process. But there's a a, a difference of when you should be working with a coach versus a therapist. And I mm-hmm. think that both are amazing. But if you're still... In that place where you're not ready to start moving forward, a coach is probably not going to be the best place to start. So it could be a therapist. So I do a 30-minute consultation for free just to make sure that they're really ready to start moving forward. And they don't have to be healed. They can still be part of grieving. But when you work with a coach, you want to set goals. You want to be very forward-focused. And if they're not there yet... I'll refer them to to work with a therapist and then come back to work with me when they're really ready to kind of start that transition.
0: To To repeat that back to you, just to make sure I'm picking up what you're putting down, if they're thinking about like, okay, I'm divorced now, now what? Like I want to go figure out my life. That's forward thinking. If they're in the part where they're like, why this happened? They're horrible. Why, like, it's all my fault, or along those lines. That's more of you know thinking in the past and needing to go to a therapist.
1: Yes, yes. If there's still a lot of the the denial, the anger, the bargaining that happened in grief, if you're still really battling those, that's going to be probably more beneficial if you're working with a therapist um, or using your friends and family support system. It's that forward focus is when a coach can come in and kind of help push you.
0: Very cool. Very cool. And I I think that answers the the core question I really wanted to ask is how do people show up and like when they show up? Because I know that after my divorce, there were times I'd come home from a party because I didn't really want to go, but I didn't want to be alone that I fall asleep crying myself to sleep on like the bathroom floor, you know, when I was supposed to be brushing my, my teeth, it would be me just sobbing. And I, I honestly don't know when there was a point where I was like, there's a future. And that's so getting the two clarity of, you know, when to go to a coach and when to go to a therapist is something that I don't think a lot of people really. Consider or talk about. And yeah. go ahead.
1: Yeah, I would agree. And that's, I think that 30 minute consult that I do is really making sure that I know where they're at. I mean, and then there's no shame in it. You know, if they are not ready to work with the coach, then I just, I don't want to take somebody's money if they're, if they're not at that place yet. I would rather them still be working on, um, you know, getting through that grieving process. But I mean, I have clients that you still will cry. I mean, I've been divorced for, for three years and there's still some days where I might get a little misty eyed because something triggers me and I think about something. But that's okay. That doesn't mean I haven't moved forward. But I think that um, even just having that call with, uh, you know, with me to to determine, okay, should I be working with the coach yet or is the the therapy the way to go?
0: And you brought up uh, a really good uh, point of there's no shame in it. And I think that's something we really need to focus on is the. The stigma and the shame and like the grief is is something that I think is a little bit more known of, you know, it's a dying relationship. It's a part of you that died. And that part I do feel is a bit more well known, but the shame behind it. And you mentioned on our intro call that you experienced that shame in, I guess, even to myself, I know I felt the shame, but I don't, I don't even understand why there's shame behind it.
1: I think you can look at it as if you, you failed at something. Nobody enters into a marriage thinking that they're going to get divorced. And so even if it's best, even if that's what both parties want, it's still like a, a failure per se, because people view divorce as something that it's wrong and you're not supposed to do it and you work through it. I mean, getting a, a license to get married is so easy, but actually getting a divorce, the whole process is very long and lengthy, and I know it's different in every state, but in Colorado, you have to wait three months and so it just makes it kind of yucky and it doesn't feel good and so there's a failure I think that goes along with it, even though like fifty percent of the people that get married get divorced, it's just this uh this sense of failure that you didn't you didn't finish something that you you went into. And the shame, I mean, the shame that is with that as well. I i had to learn how to forgive myself, which was something that was uh, really challenging. I had forgiven my ex-husband way before I had forgiven myself for everything, you know, that I feel played a role in, in the divorce. And, you know, it takes two people. It, it does. And um, when I finally was able to forgive myself, that was even more... Um, I guess, rewarding than, you know, forgiving him.
0: Did you, and I agree that forgiving yourself, like for myself, is is hard on a daily basis on, on like anything, but how, did you work with a therapist when you got divorced?
1: So I worked with a therapist and a coach. Uh, so I worked with a therapist um, that, I felt was honestly coddling me a little too much at the time, so I stopped working with them and kind of took a break while I was working with the coach. And then I found this amazing therapist that was very real, which I appreciated and I liked that. And she wasn't holding my hand and you know telling me, "Oh, it's all going to be okay." And I like I like the reality of that. And uh, the coach I worked with was very similar, you know, like this is going to suck, but you're going to be able to get through it. You're going to have good days and bad days. And um, I think working with both of them is what was um, very, very beneficial. But there were also times when I just, I did a lot of self-work on myself, you know, just alone by myself and meditating by, with myself. And, you know, I, I run, I'm a distance runner. So I did a lot of thinking on my runs. <laughs> that was very healing for me, my my running therapy.
0: That That's good. That's good. And Where, at what point, or what do you think helped the most on forgiving, getting to the point of forgiving yourself?
1: I think it was... um... I think this goes back to what I was blogging about and what I was writing about and what I was encouraging other people to do. And I wanted to make sure that I was practicing what I preached. And so I wrote down and I journaled a lot of those things that were still eating at me about um, many things, you know, in in the marriage. And uh, when I was able to view them and say them out loud to myself that, you know, I've, I've I've learned from these mistakes that I've made. I've learned from this and look at them more as like learning opportunities and things that I don't want to do again, or I want to do different. And I viewed it that way, um, rather than regretting things because you can't change the past. You can't. And so if you're just sitting there constantly thinking, I wish I could have done this or I would have done that differently. You can't, you can't go back and change it. All you can do is, um, acknowledge it and, um, make the decision that you're not going to do something in the future or that you are going to do something in the future. So when I did that, I was really able to forgive myself.
0: And that, as we were talking earlier, it's definitely really difficult to do. I And thank you for doing that because now you're helping so many other people along their journey. What How would you go about, and I'm pretty sure you've, you've written this in your book. So let me maybe restart this question. Um, you've mentioned that you've done a lot of blogging and of course, you have your coaching business. What, uh, what made you want to write your book? And then what, how does the, your book help separately from your blogs and from your coaching?
1: So what made me want to write my book was because of all the different self-help books that I read, I felt like um many of them were contradicting each other. Because if you do these five things, you're gonna be happy. If you, you know, if you complete this um gratitude journal for the next 30 days, life's gonna be perfect. And I I was getting frustrated, I think, with um the, the, the books contradicting themselves and even sometimes within the same book. And so I wanted to let other people know the process that I went through because I think that it's a very confusing, scary, overwhelming process when you're going through a divorce or really any you know challenging transition in your life. And people are telling you, you should do it this way. You should do it this way. And that's what my book's about. It's, there's not one size fits all approach to anything. And I do give some soft suggestions, but I also say, try it if it doesn't work for you that's okay too. So it is a self-help book in a sense, but it's also, um, I think it, it gives a different perspective that there is, it's okay to, to try different things and read a self-help book and the whole thing doesn't have to resonate with you. You can just take chapter two, that one, I like mm-hmm. it and that's okay. Um, and how it difference, uh, differentiates from my blogs there's definitely some crossover in them, and you'll see, you you would see that if you read my blogs and you read my book. Um, but I go into more personal stories about myself in my um, in my book than I do in my blog. So I, I start each one with just uh, something that's happened in my life, some personal things that are there. It's not a memoir; uh, it is still more of a self help guide. Um, but um, I think my blogs are more focused on a lot of self care, personal growth, forgiving yourself, those things.
0: Very cool. And how is your book on, where do they find your book? And is it on uh, audiobook as well?
1: So not audiobook yet, but that's on my list of things. Um, But it's Kindle and um, and paperback. So you can purchase it on Amazon or Barnes and Noble online.
0: Very cool. And I, I always ask about the audiobooks because I'm horribly dyslexic. Horribly. And audiobooks have just saved my life, and podcasts because then I'm actually able to learn, and that's something that I really struggled with in school. Is um, I didn't realize I was dyslexic back then, so I'm very excited to hear that that's on your, uh, you know, your goals. Now, before wrapping this up, and I know that we we did talk about your journey and different aspects of it. I want to just double check. Is there anything that we left out that you do want to go over and dive deeper into?
1: I would just say that, um, it's it's well. I think I'm going to say this because I'm going to be running a, a marathon here shortly. But um, it it's not a sprint when you're going through uh, a divorce or when you're going through again anything in life. I'm I'm a very impatient person, and I, of course, I want to you know just feel better. I want to not hurt. I want to wake up and move on to my next chapter. But um, it's a process, and going through all of that is what's going to heal you. If you try to fast forward through all the ugly parts in life, you're going to miss. The good parts, and so even though it's challenging and it's hard, look at what you're learning from that because um, you're you're learning a lot even in those dark, hard times, and then it's going to help you when you start to move forward. So it's a process; it takes time. It takes time. You know, you want to get in shape. It's not going to happen overnight. You can't do five pushups and and be in shape. You know. So it's. I wish. Um, <laughs> right. We all do. Um everything takes time. It's a process. So just, just looking at when those when those times get really hard, trying to really dig into what am I learning from this right now? And what am I gonna be able to take with me into my next chapter?
0: And I really liked how you said that, uh, uh what did I learn and what can I take into the next chapter? Because the entire time we've been having this conversation, one thing that keeps popping into my mind is that yes, you're a divorce coach, yet by someone learning how to be happy with themselves and learn about themselves and be true to themselves, that that allows them to be happier in their next relationship and have healthier relationships. Absolutely. And I think that is is so encouraging because there's a lot of relationship coaches out there, but they don't always deal with the bullshit. That happens to the point where you actually want to go look for someone, you know, and I, at least for someone being divorced, I appreciate there are people like you in the world because going through the bullshit is hard. It's 100% really hard and we got to do it. And I'm grateful that there's people out there like you that can help us with it. Thank you. Yes, and learning to love
1: yourself is is so important. I mean, just loving yourself. Self-love is not selfish. I think people think it is. We want to take care of everybody else, but self-love is so not selfish.
0: Agreed, agreed. And any other words of encouragement that you'd like to leave our audience with?
1: I would say just keep moving forward. You know, we're all going to have bad, bad days. We all do. But just keep moving forward. And I know I mentioned the gratitude journal earlier, but what? remember what you're grateful for each day, even the little things. It doesn't have to be something huge, but, you know, when, you know, winter's coming up and be grateful for warm socks, you know, little things. When you say the things that you're grateful for every day, it, it helps keep you going. So just one step, one foot in front of the other, one step at a time, keep moving
0: forward. Thank you. And you you teed that up perfectly. Uh, And uh, to the the gratefulness. And and one of the biggest reasons uh, we're doing this at the end of each episode is, yes, doing a gratitude journal for 30 days is not going to change, you know, everything for you in life. I, I mean, I wish it did. That would be great. Yeah. But it does, to your point, it helps change that perspective. And remembering that, you know, for me, I'm incredibly grateful to have the, the resources to be able to do this podcast and those who want to come on and share the real shit and, the, and being able to talk about divorce and being able to talk about, um, you know, uh, just so everyone knows, when Jasmine applied to be on the podcast, she told me she would talk about poop when running marathons. I we didn't. did not talk about that today. Jasmine <laughs> may have to come back at some point, but the fact that she would talk about that shit made me really happy.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. I would totally come back and talk about that.
0: <laughs> but, uh, like, having people like you on the podcast, I'm so grateful for and so grateful that you have your divorce coach because we definitely need that in the world. Thank and you. what are you grateful for?
1: You know, I am grateful for everything that has happened in my life, the good. And the shit. And it's true because I honest to God would not be doing what I'm doing today and being able to help people if I hadn't gone through everything that I've gone through in life, you know, and those hard times, they made me stronger. And I am so grateful for all of the experiences that I've
0: gone through. Thank you for that. And thank you for sharing. And Awesome, Jasmine. Uh, How do people, before we we sign off for the day, how do people find you and get a hold of you?
1: The easiest way is to visit my website, which is my company name, com, And that's gonna, not going to. So com, and all my social media you can find on the website and information to buy my book. And also I have a free book that you can download, an ebook and working with me and my blog. All of that's available on my website, com. Yay.
0: Thank you, Jasmine. It's been great having you on the show. Thank you so much for having me.